when I am pursuing my own personal ambitions, I feel drained. I feel defeated at every step of the way, and I never feel good enough. And this is why people who are consumed with their life's work, uh, often given to drugs, suicide, whatever, because the work will will kill you. I mean, it's it's never done. It's never complete. And if you're not, there's not something leading you, but you're just your own drivenness. It will it'll drive you crazy. And I love Stephen King's memoir on writing for this reason, because he has this wonderful quote in there where he says, I used to think that life was a support system for the arts. And now I realize that it's the other way around. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. This show is for the rising star who is climbing to the top, but they're running into the resistance that everyone faces. On this podcast, I am blessed to interview and discuss how successful entrepreneurs have starved the doubts, moved into self-confidence, and are making their dreams, their business, and their passion a reality. You can do it, too. My guest today is Jeff Goins from GoinsWriter.com. Let's kick off with the interview and do a wrap-up at the end. Jeff Goins is a writer. He loves compelling stories and worthy causes. He has a new book coming out this summer called The In-Between. He is passionate about helping others build their platform online. He teaches the very successful online course, TribeWriters.com, how to build an online audience. He has a popular blog at GoinsWriter.com. Jeff, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, Jared. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. Thank you, sir. What is the best concert that you have ever been to? It's a great question. Probably cheating, but the answer is twofold. I've got two answers for for good reason. The one of the best conferences I ever, or I'm sorry, concert I ever attended was my first concert, which was Jimmy Page with the Black Crows with mm. my with my dad. I was 14 years old, 13 years old, and you know, big Led Zeppelin fan, and you know, my dad introduced me to. Zeppelin and we got to share this experience. It rained on us the whole time. <laughs> like it was this epic, you know, experience where we would never forget it. So that I mean, that was my first and probably one of my best concerts. And then re- more recently, past few years, my wife and I saw probably the tightest show. You know, the best show I've ever seen was David Gray playing at the Ryman Auditorium here in Nashville, which is a phenomenal mm-hmm. venue. You know, two thousand seating, you know, small, intimate gathering, wonderful acoustics, not a bad seat in the house. So, you know, the first one is just an overall epic, amazing experience. And the second is probably the the best musical performance I've ever seen. Wow. I can imagine. Do you have a favorite song by Led Zeppelin? Yeah, I think so. I I love the Rain song. And I also really like Tangerine, (laughs) both of which are, you know, not hits you know deeper tracks but I, I love both those songs sure are you able to play either on the guitar yeah uh, I, I can play tangerine yeah nice cubs versus white Sox. 
Good question. I grew up in, you know, just outside of Chicago, as, as I'm sure you know, doing your research. You're great at that, Jared. And I guess I would say White Sox. I sort of went from Cubs when I was a kid because they had this, what was it, the early 90s, late 80s when I was growing up. I mean, they had great players. Andre Dawson, Ryan Sandberg, great, great players. But then as I got older, I think I think the White Sox just seemed cooler to me. I liked going to Comiskey Park when I was a kid. We actually saw the old Comiskey Park torn down, and my dad and I went to a baseball game and kept a brick from the old Comiskey Stadium and then went to the new one. Candy, Skittles versus Pez. Pez, totally. Not because of the candy, but because of the dispenser. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Pez candy dispenser? Uh, you know, I used to collect those, and I used to set them up in my... I lived in the basement when I was a kid, and, and so I had, you know, that, that, that little basement window, right? Like that little, like, tiny thing at the, you know, at the ceiling. And I used to set my Pez dispensers up there in that window, but if you slammed my door hard enough or somebody upstairs jumped hard enough... They'd all knock down, which always made me mad, but not mad enough to move them. I had a Darth Vader Pez dispenser, which mm. I thought was pretty cool. Classic. Now, we mentioned earlier you play guitar. Acoustic versus electric? It used to be acoustic. I used to love the acoustic guitar. My dad taught me guitar, and he, he played almost all acoustic You know, when I was a kid. Just you know, pulled out and would fiddle around with it. But then I, I got a, a, a nicer electric guitar. My wife just bought me this amazing tube amp for Christmas last year and i'm getting back into playing electric i've got a epiphone which is you know a cheaper gibson sg mm-hmm. favorite foreign language spanish versus french totally spanish i, I mean I, I don't even understand french because it's like <laughs> you don't pronounce half of the letters let's talk books self-publishing versus traditional publishing i don't know <laughs> both i mean right now i'm i'm focusing on seeing what a traditional publisher can do for me in terms of reaching a broader audience. I've self-published. I know kind of what I'm able to accomplish. It's more profitable. It's more lucrative to to self-publish, but publishing books has never been about the money for me. It's about reaching the most amount of people. And so my experiment with traditional publishing is, can I reach more people with with these messages that I believe in? And so that's, that's the experiment. We'll see how it turns out. We're talking about writing effective versus good. (laughs) <laughs> you're a good researcher. I don't believe in good writing. I believe that good is subjective. You know, is is St- Stephen King better than Ernest Hemingway? Is Anne Rice better than Anne Lamott or Emily Dickinson? It, it depends on who you ask. So I think it's better to focus on being effective, which means knowing your audience and writing in a way that engages their worldview and causes them to act or react in, in some way, whether it be emotionally, physically, whatever. This is your life, an American television Art tradition. that isn't shared. This is like from a blog post or something. <laughs> this is like, this is your life. I don't even, I mean, I feel like if I don't remember what I said, I'm going <laughs> to... There's, there's no wrong answer. I'm going to fail. You're going to pull up a blog post and, and say, hey, that's not what you said on June 15th. Yeah, I, I think art that isn't shared is ultimately falls short of its purpose. And I think that when we don't share our art in some sense it hasn't reached its potential jeff i want to mention just a few names of different authors and if you'd be willing just mention one thing that you've learned or or that you appreciate about the author and the first one is seth godin what i love about seth the first book that i read from seth was the first book that he wrote which is permission marketing and i what i love about that book and every 
subsequent book of his that I've read is one, this idea that it, it doesn't matter necessarily what you have to say if you haven't built your trust with your audience to say it. And the way that you build your trust is by every step of the way asking permission to communicate with your audience at a deeper level. And then the second thing that I love about his communication style is it's he really is writing for the information age where everybody's distracted and, and he's really honoring that attention and trying to deliver the most amount of value and the fewest amount of words. And I really respect that and try to uh, emulate that with my own writing. Stephen Pressfield. Similar to Godin in terms of his, his terseness, I, I like that and, and how much value packs into an economy, you know, uh, he's very economical with his words. Additionally, I, I like that he kicks your butt and, and doesn't have any problem delivering the, the punch to get you moving and really challenges you to, to act. I can't read something from, Pess, from Pressfield, particularly his nonfiction, and not feel compelled to do something. C.S. Lewis. He changes the conversation. Whether you're reading Narnia or The Abolition of Man or even Mere Christianity, most people have a conversation about fantasy or spirituality or, or what you ultimately believe about reality at a certain level. And for whatever reason, Lewis is able to take it to a level where everybody goes, everybody, regardless of your worldview, goes, well, yeah, I would agree with that. And I think there's a wonderful philosophy to Lewis's writing where people of all kinds of backgrounds and belief systems can come together and talk about truth in a way where there's some sort of common ground. And sure, there might be agreements or disagreements, but it's not like walls that are being built around belief systems. And I love that, that Lewis is able to do that. And it's what really spoke to me at, at an early age when I was you know, in college and I was thinking about what is real and what is true. And he meets you at an intellectual level, but that's also accessible to virtually anyone. Lastly, Michael Hyatt. Two things about Mike that I love. He serves in every aspect of his life, particularly his, his blog, but also uh, if you meet him in person, he's, he's going to serve you. He's going to make you feel like the most important person in the room, and he's going to mean it. He does that in his writing. He does that in real life as well. And the second thing that he does, which I am not so good at, is... He helps you realize that everything has a simple process to it that you can, you know, that you can do. And I love that. I mean, anything that you give him, he can go, oh, yeah, like here's the here's the three or five step process or here's the way that we can break this down and then walk through it intentionally towards an actual destination, not just get stuck in being stalled out. Jeff, let's talk about your writing. You have an upcoming book, The In-Between, and I'm curious, would you be willing to talk about The In-Between? Sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Thanks. So this book is uh, different from previous writings that I've done in that it's, it's a memoir, which is to say it's a bunch of stories about my life. But it's not really about me. It's about that thing that we all feel, which is that wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, chances are you're waiting for something. You're stuck in this place between who you are and who you'd like to be between being a single person, you know, just running around doing your thing and really wanting to settle down and, and have a family or between having this job and, and the next job or sitting on the toilet, you know, as a, a woman looking at that stick waiting for it to turn blue. <laughs> Everybody is waiting for something and, and they're in this place, this place that I call the in-between 
And the book is about my own struggles with that and then also my, my reflections on that. And this book is an exploration of the idea that maybe this space is actually, it's a divine space. And I, I say divine because this place that we want to escape, but it's actually the perfect place to be. It's the place where we grow and become who we're meant to be. And what we find, I think, is that life really is all waiting. You're never done. You're never complete. There's always something else to achieve, something else to hope for. And once we understand that and embrace the in-between, we can learn to live these fulfilling lives, these extraordinary lives in these ordinary circumstances wherever we may be. And if you want it, come and get it. Cry it out loud. Jeff, from the outside looking in, some would argue and say, Jeff, you've arrived. What could you possibly be waiting for at this point and at this stage? And I'm curious, is what are some things maybe you are waiting for in terms of your writing or, or being an entrepreneur? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the the trap of quote-unquote success, whatever that looks like for somebody, is... Um, you know, you always want a little bit more. <laughs> sure. And I can't remember who said this, but a person once once asked a young entrepreneur who wanted to, you know, take over the world, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Hmm. A- and frankly, I think there is this tension in my life, wh- whether it comes to fame or success or whatever, because we all have these numbers or achievements in our mind that if we got to there, this much income, that many fans, this many books sold, whatever it might be, we go, I would feel complete. And then you get there and like any summit, any mountaintop, you go, oh, it it keeps going. It's just a little bit further, just a little bit higher. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having aspirations, but I do think that we as human beings need to understand that you can always go further, you can always move forward and challenge yourself to the next level. And part of me as a writer loves that because I can always get better and, and I can always take another step forward. But there's also the you know the ugly side to it, which is I could always make a little bit more money or sell another book. And I don't want to get lazy. And I like that challenge of of wanting to take the next step, go to the next level, particularly in my craft. And I don't feel like I've arrived and I feel like I I still have yet to master the craft of writing, but I'm excited about the journey. And so I have to learn how to embrace where I am and go, right now, this is this is good. This is the perfect place. This is the best that I can be right now. But if I stay here, I'm going to stagnate. But I need to embrace where I am and, and not be feel perpetually miserable about not being good enough. I love that Leonardo da Vinci quote, art is never finished, only abandoned. And I think every step of the way in in us pursuing our life's work, our art, we have this choice to keep working to finish it. And we're not finished with it until we're dead or we can abandon it. And sometimes the challenge, the hardship is that we face makes us want to abandon it, which is the wrong thing to do. And so I'm constantly facing this challenge of not good. I don't feel good enough and I want to kind of take the next step but as I'm taking these steps, I want to enjoy the view. I want to enjoy the journey. And so for me, it's not so much looking back at what I've accomplished because that's relative to somebody further down the mountain. They go, wow, you're way up there. But then I look up at, at where I have yet to go and I go, no, I, I am just <laughs> not even halfway up. But I think what it, what it really means is, man, 
I am loving this. I am loving climbing every step of the way. And some people say that they don't like writing, but they love having written. I don't feel that way. I love writing. And sometimes I'm afraid to do it. Sometimes I don't. I'm really petrified of failure. Sometimes I am lazy about it and stall starting because I just I just don't know what to what to say. But when I'm actually sitting down typing and words are coming out, I feel alive. And so that that's that's what I want to continue to do. I love what I do, and I want to remember that I love what I do, and I have I still have more mountains to climb. But I love the act of climbing. From a Christian perspective, Jeff. What's the difference between enjoying the moment but having faith that that God's going to do something and then being driven and wanting to pursue success and doing the work? Yeah, good question. And and I I mean, I think the you know, the honest answer to most of these questions is I don't know. I'm I'm trying to figure that out myself. <laughs> I do think there is a difference between being driven and being led. And as a Christian, I face this tension of my own personal ambition to be awesome for my own sake, for my own namesake, rather, as opposed to being led by God to do the things that I feel called to do, which I happen to enjoy and, and also, you know, am ambitious towards those things. And sometimes I act out of personal ambition and sometimes, you know, I'm really pursuing my calling and, and often God is the only one who knows the difference. But I think when I'm pursuing my calling, which is really being led by, by God to take the next step in faith, whatever it might be. I feel full of life and there's this, this sense of hope. When I am pursuing my own personal ambitions, I feel drained. I feel defeated at every step of the way and I never feel good enough. And this is why people who are consumed with their life's work uh, often given to drugs suicide, whatever, because the work will will kill you. I mean, it's it's never done. It's never complete. And if you're not, there's not something leading you, but you're just your own drivenness. It will it'll drive you crazy. And I love Stephen King's memoir on writing for this reason, because he has this wonderful quote in there where he says, I used to think that life was a support system for the arts. And now I realize that it's the other way around. And I, th- I think writing is that way for me. My spiritual life does not exist as a support system for my art. My art is a means of expression of what God is doing in my life and in the lives of those around me and the truth that I see in that that I can then communicate to others. Jeff, you blogged for a couple years and had some, some traction, but then the last two years you just have harvested just this wonderful fruit and had some really cool things happen that have changed you and your family's life. How did you overcome self-doubt? How did you starve the doubts in the beginning when you were first writing and you were working through this process of building your platform? I think, honestly, I didn't slow down enough, Jared, to worry about that stuff. I, you know, that, that first year that I, that I started this new blog, goingswriter.com, I, I hustled. I worked really hard. I had a day job. I had a, had a wife who got pregnant, and so I was often taking care of her. I just didn't have a lot of free time. And so when I was writing, I could think about that stuff or I could write. And so that, that first year, I wrote over 300 articles for my blog and then another like 100 or so articles for other people's blogs and publications. You do the math, 
I was writing more than an article a day. And we're talking, you know, 500,000 word articles. Some of the content was repurposed, but almost, you know, most of it was original. And when you're that focused, when you're working that hard, it's really hard to look around you or behind you or even ahead of you. Like I, people would say, people have asked me like, what's, you know, what are the three things that you did that made this happen? I don't know. I did a hundred things. Somebody, a young actor once said to Walter Matthau, man, I am looking for that big break. And Matthau just laughed and he said, kid, it's not the one break, it's the 50. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I think, that's what I learned from those two years of, of hustling is, I don't know, I, I, I can't pinpoint it. I can tell you a few inflection points, as Michael Hyatt would say, a few big moments. But overall, it was just working really hard, building momentum, and then it's like running, just looking at your feet. You know, you're mm. not really looking around, and that's probably not a good way to run. <laughs> but, but you're just focusing on one foot in front of the other. And after a little while, you look up and, and you go, where am I? Gosh, I, I didn't know that I'd ever get here. And, and that's really why I believe it's important. It's essential to love the work, to love the, the act of running, so that when you end up where you are, you go, well, it was fun to do that, and it's fun to be here. But I know a lot of people who want to end up somewhere, and they really hate running. And they go, I just got to endure this for the next year or two or decade. And that's just, I don't know, that's no way to... To live your life, you know, going back to the faith question, I have a friend who's probably the best guitarist I know, and and you don't know who he is, and he's not famous, but he's amazing, and he should be. And I asked him, do you ever struggle with that? And he said, God called me to play guitar. He didn't promise me success at it, but mm-hmm. he, did, he did call me to it, and so all I know is my response to that is to be the best that I possibly can be. Jeff, what encouragement do you offer to that person who's listening who is in the thick of the day job and they have the family and they have the responsibilities, but they've got that calling, that desire to, hey, I got to do this. I got to make this happen. But you understand that's a complex situation. What encouragement do you have for that person? I could say a lot of things. You know, I could tell you to get up at 5 a.m. or tell you to maximize every moment of your day and that you probably have more free time than you realize and it really only takes 30 minutes a day to create any kind of momentum and at the end of a year 30 minutes a day adds up to a lot of time and practice Mm -hmm. and excellence but you've probably heard that already and so I know lots of people who want to pursue their dream and don't and the difference between those who succeed and those who don't it's it's one thing that I've observed and this isn't science or anything, but I just look at it and I go, this is the thing. This is the thing that leads to success. And it's this, don't give up. Because I observed a while ago that some people get uh, lucky, you know, and they just catch a, a few breaks that I never catch. And you can feel embittered towards those people and go, well, yeah, of course you're successful because this happened to you. Or you go, well, you're just better at this than most people. You're naturally gifted. And I, I, I looked at those people and I thought, you know what, that's fine. But I have just made the decision to not give up and I'm going to become the best at this that I can be. And I realized that in the grand scheme of things, uh, people who are naturally gifted sometimes get lazy and don't try as hard because they don't have to. They don't work as hard and don't persevere because they don't need to. And eventually luck wears out. And so I realized I can outlast those who are lucky when Mm -hmm. when they give up. And I can outwork those who are lazy. 
And so I, I, I can't, I can't make myself have more luck and I can't get better than, than I'm, than I'm naturally gifted to be, but I can stick with it. And that's what I would encourage anybody listening to is to this is just don't give up. You can, those who are uh, lucky and you can outwork those who are lazy. Jeff, what did you learn from the wrecked publishing process that you're applying to your new book? Well, I learned I learned some things to do and some things to not do. The thing I the positive things I learned is you know building a lot of anticipation around a book launch is really important and really effective. And when your book launches, that may be the the opportunity to have the most amount of people looking at your book. So you want it to look good, you want it to work good, you want to have a lot of reviews on your Amazon page, all that stuff. And so the idea of building a launch team, creating anticipation, those are all things that I'll apply to future book launches, including this next one. What I also learned, you know, not to do, or, you know, just kind of a negative lesson that I learned was you have to look beyond just the first launch week or launch month and how can you create continued conversations around the book content and give people resources to keep talking about the book and using it because, you know, we had a big book launch, but most people bought the book not because they heard it was an excellent book, but because they were following my blog and I gave away a bunch of free stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I want the content to stand on its own. And so w- what I've learned is three to six months after your book comes out, that's when people actually have read it and are going, hey, I actually really like this. And so we're trying to create some strategies that harness that conversation that naturally happens after a person reads the book so that it can lead to hopefully you know continued success in the long term who's doing something that interests you well you're doing something interesting jared with wonderful podcasts these are the best questions i've, I've ever heard and i know others like chris brogan have, have said similar things kudos on that um yeah good question you know i, I have to give a shout out to my friend joe bunting here you know joe's a good friend and he is an artist in ways that I, you know, wish I was. And Joe and I have launched a, a number of projects together. But I'm always just watching what he's doing because he's always doing things at a, a deeper level. I'm thinking about what's going to succeed this year, next year. And Joe's thinking about who's, you know, what kind of author do I want to be in 10 years or 20 years, and what kind of content do I want to create? Joe did this great thing. Two two great things. One, he launched this website that I've been privileged to be a part of called storycartel.com where we you know basically offer free books for readers in exchange for free reviews for authors and then on that platform he launched a short story that he wrote that he then sold on Amazon and I'm very interested in authors taking short form fiction and nonfiction and making it available in this new digital world because it that's really interesting to me because people get blogging and they get book publishing and ebook publishing but where does a short story or series of nonfiction essays fit into this world and not a lot of people are doing innovative stuff in that space yet what is joe's site uh, joe has a great blog called the rightpractice.com and right is spelled w-r-i-t-e great blog for particularly fiction writers what is the best place for people to connect with you online, find out more about Tribe Writers and the upcoming in-between book launch? Best place is my blog. You can come give me a virtual high five there at goinswriter.com. Goins is like coins but with a G. Some people south of the Mason-Dixon line in, in the U.S. say Goins, and that's fine too. But you know, goinswriter.com is my blog, and as soon as you uh, go there, you'll see a big box where you can enter your email and you can get a couple of free ebooks and get my free newsletter there. 
Jeff, you're doing some compelling stuff. Thank you so much for taking time to share that on Star of the Dows. Totally my pleasure, Jared. Thanks so much. Did you enjoy the interview with Jeff Goins? Would you be so kind and send Jeff a thank you tweet for being on the show? You can find Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Goins. If amazing free content is loathed in your neck of the woods, then please do not go to iTunes to leave a rating and review. However, if you found the show to have value, a rating and review is appreciated and greatly increases the visibility of the podcast. Please consider doing a search for Starve the Doubts in iTunes. Remember to hit subscribe and leave a rating and review. Thank you for the consideration. You're the best. You rock. Jim Munchback is starving the doubts by helping people make their money count. Please consider checking him out over at his website, imakeyourmoneycount.com. Jim is on Twitter and loves it when you say howdy because he's in Texas. Would you tweet howdy to Jim? His Twitter handle is Jim Munchback. That's M-U-N-C-H-B-A-C-H. Stop what you're doing right now. Open up your email. Type Pez, P-E-Z in the subject line and send a blank email to jaredeasley at gmail.com. Do it now. Pretty please. In the meantime, always treat others the way that they want to be treated. Always do your best and remember to starve the doubts. (laughs) 